Hi, everybody. You're really in for a treat with this episode. Michelle Bignot is not only a mother who has been grieving the loss of her son for over two decades, but she's also a professional in the field of working with children. She created a trove of resources for parents to help navigate that incredibly difficult space of helping another child grieve the loss of their sibling. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis. It is lovely to be back with you. And I have a guest with me who I'm really excited to talk to, Michelle Benio. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Megan. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Michelle and I were just talking before we mic'd up about um, podcasting and about the, the world of grief and loss and sort of sharing ideas about the general education format. And what I'm really excited about is she has a niche, I'm going to use that word, a real specific interest about helping people understand sibling loss in particular, and that sibling loss at a very young age. Mm-hmm. So I'm so extraordinarily excited. Some folks know I have a, a master's degree in early childhood education. I spent a lot of time with little kids in the classroom. It was many years ago. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to have this conversation, but I'd love for you to just start us off telling, telling the listeners sort of how did you get here? What is your mm-hmm. own loss story? And Um, your own background. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Yes. And I, I too have a master's in family education. I was an educator from the beginning, but I was a a high school teacher. And then over the years, I had my own child and thought, and I had gotten out of education and thought I need to be a parent educator. So I became an early childhood parent educator and loved that. I had my own two young children. So I got to go to work every day with other parents parents and talk about our kids and and get paid for it. So it was wonderful. And it was during that time that my four and a half year old son was diagnosed with cancer. And I had a 15 month old daughter. And so for the next two and a half years, we went through that journey. And I was still doing my parent education and still with families. And so, of course, that added an extra layer of their experience as well as mine. And when my son died at the age of six and a half, my daughter was three and a half. And she actually said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. And so I thought, okay, I mean, my focus was so much on her because this was my career. This was where my focus had always been. And I thought, well, okay, I, I, this, is, this is not okay. I need to make sure she grows up whole and happy. And how do I do that? And I figured I could probably find resources. I knew where to find resources if anyone did, but there really weren't any out there. And this was... This was 21 years ago. My son died in 2000. And so at the time I knew, well, if this doesn't exist, I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to create this eventually. But right now I've just got to get through it myself. And so I, I read every book I could find over the years. More books came out. There still wasn't a lot there, but I was gleaning everything that I could about children's loss and especially 
the early childhood years because those are the formative years. And when she said half of her was gone, I knew that that was true. I knew that that was true in a sense. So then I got my, I thought I've got my experience, but I also need the grief credential, so to speak. And I got my um, certified grief recovery specialist Mm. certification from the Grief Recovery Institute. And now this is the work that I am, that I'm doing. I founded Good Grief Parenting to provide that education piece for families going through child loss about what grief actually is, how, how young children actually grieve and how we as parents are going to need to support them, not just at the time of loss, but throughout the rest of their lives, because as bereaved siblings, they have really unique needs. Mm. What it's making me think of, so most of my listeners know, and those who've followed my, my story is that there was a, there was a loss in my childhood when I was eight, someone who we considered to be a cousin drowned in Mm -hmm. my very small Cape Cod community. Mm -hmm. And one of the things and all the trauma work that I've done is, is sort of coming to understand the imprint of what it does to an eight-year-old. So exactly what you're describing, what are the tasks of that child in terms of life? And I can look across it now and say, well, I was really under supported. Mm-hmm. The fascinating thing for me as an adult has been now, I mean, I'm much older now than mm-hmm. my parents were when they were left to dealt with. I'm, I'm one of six children. There are six children grieving a loss mm-hmm. for which they had no information. Mm-hmm. And, and that family, those cousins, the mom, and she texted me when her own children were growing up and asked me, a trauma therapist with a developmental degree, how do I talk to my kids about this? And I had nothing to offer. I mean, my immediate response was just sort of like, okay, let's go, let's go look to the literature, let's see. And then also sort of what are my instincts? And it was really deeply confusing. Mm-hmm. In grief work, what we talk about is this traumatic growth. Everybody wants traumatic growth, right? Like, I don't want to be only negatively impacted, but I know from speaking to parents who lose children and, and people's responses being, oh my God, I would never live through that. And how minimizing and difficult that response can be that there is this balance between taking care of yourself and doing what you need to do to heal. And also being the parent, knowing that your task is to be there for your child. And I can say in my parents' example, I think they would have admitted they didn't do a tremendously good job. Mm-hmm. And I think if you ask my siblings, they would say the same. So I'm curious about both, you know, the traumatic growth, right? Literally filled a void mm-hmm. in work, yes. which is so exciting. But tell me about what that has been for you in terms of helping you with your grief. You know, when I went through the Grief Recovery Institute, we talk about how every grief that someone feels is 100%. It doesn't matter what it is. And there are so many different kinds of grief. And it really just is about what grief is, which is our response to a loss of something important. And it could be any number of things. And so we learned, you know, not to compare, but people do call child loss the worst loss. They do. For a reason. 
And that is the one you just mentioned. And that is not only are we grieving our own loss, but we are grieving our children's loss. And we are trying to grieve and parent at the same time. And you can't neglect either one of them. That's the thing. You really can't neglect your child while you're grieving. And you can't neglect your grieving either, because if you do, you're not helping your child. It's a really challenging place to be. And for me, I was not familiar with grief. I had not worked through it with any other loss. And so I was, you know, I was hit by the side of the head with this one. And I was so focused on my daughter, especially after she articulated that. She had no other siblings and I knew she was going to grow up without siblings. And I just kicked and screamed that reality and still do, you know, I want her to have her brother. Um, But because I came from that mindset, I was an educator at heart and I had this perspective at the outset. I really, you know, I've gotten to this point in my life and thought, okay, did I really grieve? Yes, I really did grieve, even though my focus was on her and, and helping people and viewing my own grief as, okay, as I figure this out, I need to figure out good ways to do this and then share it with people. That really has been helpful for me. And I, when I was doing the parent education classes after my son died, I mean, imagine I was going into classrooms and talking to families about children, my sons and daughters ages, and I would get teary at times and I would just tell them, this is just part of what I do. This doesn't mean I'm falling apart. This doesn't mean you have to worry about me. And many of them told me how much they gained from my willingness to be with them. And my willingness to talk about my faith, which is a huge part of my healing. And so early on, I got positive feedback about the fact that I was walking forward through this and being uh, transparent with other parents and just not hiding my grief, which I think is one of the most important lessons. What I love about what you're saying is this concept of transparency, because one of the things that I talk about film blue in the face, you know, to everyone is that everyone is inventing their own grieving process, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. partly because of the way that culture, our culture, because it's not every culture, but the Western culture likes to say like, okay, well go see your therapist and talk about it there and then come back out and act as though you're fine. Mm-hmm. And I remember being with a friend when I was in my twenties and her brother had died <laughs> and she was talking about him and weeping. And she said, this is just what I do. I'm not going to stop. Almost like you know, making room for herself. Mm -hmm. If anyone else was uncomfortable, she wanted them to know this is her process and this is how she's going to do it. But the analogy I've used many times is the idea. It's almost like you have to become a a short order cook in a restaurant that's full of, you know, diners. Like you need to learn, you need to know knife skills. There's no time to learn them. Mm-hmm. because your life is right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so listening to you describing that and adding the idea that I also need to do my job and parent my child so that she is she does not walk away from this with trauma, meaning 
that her life is only negatively affected by this experience. I'm always fascinated by the stories of folks who have figured out a way to take parts of their life as it was and grow something new that includes a big piece of grief, Mm -hmm. right? And that's Mm -hmm. sort of what you're describing is you created a world in the world that already existed where your grief was a part of that. Because it was, because it is, I would talk about, and with Deanna, we went through as a family, we went through those two and a half years completely cohesively, but my marriage did have some cracks in it. And after we came through it, we ended up getting divorced. We're not that statistic that people like to talk about. It wasn't because of the loss. Right. But so I ended up raising my daughter on my own. I mean, her dad was in her life, but I, she was in my home. And I would talk about a couple of things. You know, when something wasn't what we wanted, we were on an adventure and we were going to, you know, see where this took us. But I did a lot of talking about lemonade. That's not a new analogy. A lot of people use it. But the way that I look at it is we have this lemon and we cannot get rid of the lemon. We don't want the lemon, but we have it. And so we can bite into it and it's bitter, and we hate it, we can say, I'm not going to deal with this lemon. I'm not going to do anything with it. I don't want it. We can put it on the counter and leave it there and ignore it, and it's going to rot. Or we can say, okay, what can I make with this lemon? And we can slice it, and we can add some sweetener, and we can add some water, and we can drink it and be quenched by it because we have the lemon and we have to do something with it. So She was three and a half. Her whole life was ahead of her. There was no way I was going to let her childhood be gray. You know, we, but we also weren't going to get rid of the grief. It was there. It does become a part of our life. And so that was the way I approached it. That was just, you know, that was just what we had to do. The other thing I just want to mention is as far as what I do is that I did not feel like I needed a counselor. I learned a lot from the grief support groups that Children's Hospital offered. They were very, very good. And I learned about grief. But there are parents who need something. And like you say, people will say, go get a therapist. And it's like, well, I don't exactly need a therapist. And that's the way I was. And I wanted someone like me that said, okay, you have this task in front of you. You're ready to get to it. So I'm going to help you get to this task of getting your family on the best journey possible. And so that's, I love, I love that. I love that because again, I think we're all inventing our own grief for ourselves. And so, you know, there, there, the idea that you have this mother load of energy, which is how I think of grief is like handed to you to carry Mm-hmm. And that you might not need some coaching or help or support or comfort or company. I think it's totally possible that you wouldn't, how you find the support doesn't matter. Find whatever support works. And right. so just like there are some people who only have one best friend their whole life. And then there mm-hmm. are other people who have clusters. Those are emotional supports. Friendships are yes. connections for support. I, I don't think it matters which way we do it. Right. But being able to identify that I would like to be connected to people because the thing is we are alone 
when we are grieving. It drives me bonkers when people are like, you're not alone. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes. No one parented, loved. I mean, you birthed your child. So <laughs> these are things that are totally in specific and unique to you, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be alone and isolated. And I think what happens for a lot of grievers is they feel so alone and they pull in to isolation. And so I love what you're saying, which is there were these groups, but also you created a resource that you knew was so important for you and your daughter that then becomes this living legacy to offer to other people. So I'd love for you to talk more about your work and what you discovered and what you think is important, because I know, I mean, I, I absolutely know I can think of three people. We have some listeners for whom this is a true living experience right now. Mm. Well, you know, we do need to start, which is why I appreciated so much the woman who was the bereavement specialist at Children's Hospital. I learned so much from what she offered. And, you know, I was experiencing, for example, I was thinking that I needed to do the stages, you know, and I wasn't doing the stages. So then I was worried that I was doing grief wrong and all of these things. And so the way that I start with families is to just is to look at what they really need. And so we start looking at grief because some people may come to me and I may say, you know, there's more here than I can help you with, you know, because grief is so all encompassing and devastating. And we don't, we all have a variety of resources or need a variety of resources, as you just said. So I start with looking at how we think about grief and how we as a society undermine healthy grieving and Mm. kind of unravel some of those things that we believe because everyone around us believes it. And then when we're experiencing grief, it's like, but this doesn't feel right to me but yet everyone's telling me, you know, and so we start with that and we reframe those things and find out really where they are and incur- the other piece is encouraging them to recognize how important it is for them to speak their story. That's because right. if you start out not talking about your story, it's only going to get harder. It's only going to go deeper. And you absolutely do need to be able to talk about it. Not that you have to talk about it everywhere, but you need to be able to talk about it. And that that, I think, has some healing in it. So we start there and then we look at how people grieve differently and how everyone's grief is exactly what it's supposed to be. That's right. And so in families, that can be a challenge because people closest to the loss are grieving differently and trying to support each other. And we look at that. And also because people who are a bit removed think that they know what you need and out of their supposed care for you are giving you advice that just doesn't feel right. And how do you address that? You know, how do you respectfully say, and how do you understand that? Yes, you do know how you need to grieve. They don't you do. And so don't second guess yourself. Recognize when you need help because you at the very least need community. Um, And then be confident that it's going to take as long as it takes. There are no rules. There's no time frame 
I've been away from my loss for 21 years and I still have my temper tantrum moments where I just want my son back. You know, I miss him and I want him back in our lives. And I, we will never be over that. And then after all of this, we, we look at how children grieve and how, how, why adults often don't see their grief and how we can, how really, it's really not that difficult to support children in their grief. It's really the biggest thing is being able to talk about it and being able to open up and normalize it in your family so that your child can talk when they need to. It's not all of these huge complicated ways that you need to learn to talk to them and things that you need to learn to do. It's really just recognizing that grief is out there and we need to acknowledge it and let it kind of be in our presence and address it when it needs to be addressed and hold our children close and give them essential messages. I talk about the messages children need from adults because when we're in grief, sometimes we unintentionally give children some really, you know, some really unhelpful messages. They don't recognize their own value because you're grieving so much this other child and it starts to mess with your living child's head, you know, all of those kinds of things. I have a really extremely intact memory of all of my childhood. I'm one of those folks. I have a kid who's just like this too. So I have all the memories of what it was like to go through that loss. And what I know concretely is that without direct invitation, without direct conversation, I made up because, you know, developmentally I was only eight. Mm-hmm. So I made a, up a lot of rules about what was and wasn't okay to do because no one was demonstrating anything different to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very careful with my kids to sort of ask some questions. Do you want to talk more about it? And then also intentionally, you know, it's sort of like putting out vegetables for children, right? Which is they probably wouldn't eat these vegetables if I, as their parent, did not A, tell them that they were important and full of good micronutrients and also B, offer it to them. Mm -hmm. And also I want to raise kids, you know, I want to raise people with healthy bodies who have vegetables. And so Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot with children in grief, but I also remember that if someone was waiting for me to ask as a child, I was never going to ask. Yeah, I had an interesting experience w- with my son. This is when he was in kindergarten. So this is several years ago because he's 11 now. He lost a friend to cancer over the summer, the mm-hmm. same year that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. His friend sort of died suddenly. And you know, as a trauma therapist, I had lots of thoughts and feelings about this. As a parent, I had lots and thoughts of feelings about it. And my feelings were much more demonstratively, you know, upset and intense than his were. Mm -hmm. So he was sort of looking at me. So I had to say, honey, this is really hard as a mom, because I'm thinking so much about this family and their loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about you and your friend. Mm-hmm. And then I lost my mind on the school social worker who said, you know, at the beginning of the school year, she said, oh, I walked in. Everybody seems fine. I, I mean, I was in the grocery store, like in the banana aisle, and I had to put the phone on hold and was like swearing at the bananas. Yes. And then I came back and was like, I'm so sorry. I should have started. I am a grief and loss trauma <laughs> therapist, and we're going to need to start again. If you're waiting for my child 
to show up in school, my totally compliant, follows all the directions child to show you in school that he's having a hard time. We are never going to see that. So do better, try harder. And I mean, I can't say that I was particularly impressed with what they did, but that's, you know, that is true of some children and lots of children, right? Yes, I would say most children, and especially my daughter, you know, especially the really young early childhood age where I, which is my area of expertise, because they haven't learned, they don't even know how to show it. They don't have the words, which is why what my daughter said to me was so profound. And, you know, if she hadn't said that to me, I would have still cared about her growing up, but would I be doing what I'm doing now? Maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't be as committed to it because it was like she left no doubt in my mind how she was experiencing this. And yet as she lived in my home afterwards, she never cried. She rarely appeared overly sad she played a lot and sang a lot. I would hear her in her room singing, oh, how I wish my brother was here, you know, but I wouldn't have heard it if I hadn't listened at the door. And she wasn't showing me mommy half of me is gone. And so we know that children really don't show it. I tell people one, two of the things that I wasn't, that I didn't do for her and she's going to be 25 in a wow. week. And I say to her, I wish I had then all that I have now that I'm sharing with families. But when she was three and a half, I had to, I was still learning it. I learned not to be afraid to talk to her about my own feelings. You know, the parents are often afraid of that. We don't want to expose our kids to this. I learned that, you know, that I should share that openly with her. But I still didn't do a lot of what you mentioned is so important. I didn't do a lot of saying, you know, if I say I felt this way, I didn't say, do you feel that way sometimes? Or how are you feeling? So I shared how I felt, but she didn't tell me a lot how she felt because I didn't ask her to. Yeah. And so that really is important. And it's really simple. You just say, how are you feeling? You know, is there anything you want to tell me? What have you been thinking? You know, just these open-ended questions. I have three kids and I've mentioned this before, but there's this phrase, actually, I'm pretty sure my husband may have invented it, but there's this phrase in our family, which is anything I need to know about your feelings today. And it's just like a really quick shortcut. I love Um, that. Isn't it nice? And it's like, you don't even have to talk about them. Just tell me. Yeah. Well, I was really angry today. All right. Let me know if you want to talk about it. I mean, my oldest is 13. Now my youngest is, is nine. Both of my parents have died. And when they died, you know, they were younger. I was trying to keep them in the focus, but I am a parent who really had a hard time. There's some codependency stuff that it, you know, lingers. I had a really hard time being able to make room for my own emotional experience of loss mm-hmm. and not sort of resent or feel bifurcated in a, in a really unhealthy way that also I needed to figure out how to show up for them. Mm-hmm. And so what I think they would tell you if they were sitting here is that I was kind of messy about it. 
but I did explain, you know, I am going to have a lot of feelings. You're going to see that I am going to ask you about your feelings because I had this really hard experience as a child and that wasn't Mm -hmm. done enough. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would rather you be annoyed by me asking you a lot than not feel like there was room in the room for you Mm -hmm. to talk about feelings and such. But that phrase of just, you know, what should I know about your feelings Mm -hmm. is so quick. And I mean, honestly, we go to bed and my husband says the same thing. Like, you want to give me a quick check-in on your feelings, like any, anything significant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it just becomes like, almost like what errands do we need to do in the day? And then you can choose. But the part to me that feels so important that you are also talking about is helping children validate it and then create the oxygen in the room for this loss to exist. Mm-hmm. You mentioned early in the work that, the, you know, you don't need to talk about it all the time, but you need to be able to carry the narrative. Right. And I really remember that in my own experience when I had really heavy trauma around my mom dying, not even being able to say my mom died without feeling like I was drowning. Yes. And I run a a free grief writing workshop. and, And really the intent of that is for people who are in fresh grief to come in and in a sort of titrated way be able to pull on and hold pieces of their narrative mm-hmm. without getting super triggered or, you know, what, like getting super triggered, but also writing it out. And it yeah. turns out language is a good way to do that when you're a grown up. How do we help children with that? Like when their sibling has died and they need to come to a place of holding that narrative, you mentioned play and song. So I'd love mm-hmm. for you to talk more about that. Well, you mentioned vocabulary, and that is so important. Uh, The other thing I I want parents to know is that the best time for anyone to learn about grief is childhood, because then we don't grow up to be adults who don't know what to do with it. Children Mm -hmm. are very open. Children will receive whatever we give them. And even my three-and-a-half-year-old knew her brother died. She wasn't exactly sure what death was, but as she grew into knowing that word, she knew that was what happened to her brother and there was no mistake. So just starting with telling them not a lot of details when they're really little, age appropriate details that are honest, being honest with them, being forthright with them, because again, that gives them the vocabulary that's unmistakable, you know, passed away, some of those other things. It's like, well, what does that exactly mean? We don't really know. So use the D words. You know, we also don't have to wait until our children have experienced a really traumatic loss. I, we all experience our first loss in, in childhood, in our early childhood year, our first grief. And I remember mine. And it was, I had a floating toy named Wally the Walrus, a big blow up toy that you could ride on. And I lived on Lake of the Woods in Minnesota, the big lake that goes on forever. And I fell off of him. He got away from me. The wind took him out. Adults who could swim couldn't get him. Nobody could get him. And I watched him float and float and float till he was a dot on the horizon. And I felt grief because he was gone. I was never going to get him back. That's what grief is. And in that case, a lot of adults would just say, oh, he's just a toy. Just go play, you know, too bad. 
that's an opportunity to validate how bad that feels. That's all you can do. But I learned that lesson of validating emotions when I was a young mom and my son would, you know, be aggressive or, or acting out or whatever, because he felt bad. And I'd say, oh, you're really feeling mad about that, aren't you? That doesn't feel very good. And he'd go, yeah. And all he needed was for me to understand how he felt. And then the behavior wasn't necessary anymore. So these are such simple ways to start helping. And then the teachable moments are, you know, the when they find a grasshopper and decide they want it for a pet and they put it in a box and they go out the next day and the grasshopper is dead and they're really sad. Talk to them about that. So lots of teachable moments. It mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the big lessons. That is all setting in place the normalization of how we feel when we lose something that's important to us. And we can do it in those really simple ways. I had this fascinating conversation, a podcast a while ago with a well-known palliative care specialist in the UK named Dr. Catherine Mannix. And the point that she made in the, that it it just will never not linger with me is that people used to die in the home and we don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Children used to see it because it was right in front of them. I mean, in the other room, right in front of them, there was mothers died in childbirth, children died in a way that they don't anymore. And so we used to have a skill set that death is a part of life right? That, that actually, I think for adults made us feel less paralyzed. I grew up on a farm. I saw animals die. Concept was always a part of my life that, that yes. didn't need to be taught to me. But I do think the idea that children approach intellectually, right? That's where the sort of developmental psychology comes in. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my son, which again, I actually, and, and you'll appreciate this. He was little, but I put him so that he was sitting on my lap facing outward. And we were on a lounger because I knew enough that his looking at me made him self-conscious. So we sort of sat there and we talked about what cancer is and how it can kill a body, but it doesn't always kill a body. And, you know, he was quiet for a lot of minutes. And again, sort of the pause with children is so important. Right. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, maybe he'll come back as cancer. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like if there's reincarnate, you know, he was sort of on Mm -hmm. that spiritual realm of things. And he said, well, because then he could win you know, cancer one, that was how I was describing it. And I was like, oh, honey, it's not really a battle like that. So his response was so important in sort of helping him understand and integrate. And he didn't want his friend to have lost his life to win. You know, we just kept talking about it where I was Mm -hmm. like, no, you don't really win or lose a death. That's not, it's just a part of your life. His life was shorter. We ended up having a much deeper conversation mm-hmm. around the concept of what it means to die by having plain language. Mm-hmm. And I actually still, even now in my grief writing workshop, where I respond to people, I always say, I am so sorry your person died. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry about the death of your person, not that they passed away mm-hmm. or they crossed mm-hmm. over away, because I think even if we don't say those words ourselves, validating them as the experience in the world mm-hmm. is super critical. 
-hmm. It's just, you know, the vocabulary is super critical. Right. I mean, that's what it is. It isn't anything else. That's what it it is. And they can learn that word. And we use it in all kinds of places. The flowers died. So I'm going to put them in the garbage, you know, or, or whatever. And, you know, the other thing I would say about our journey and the lemon is, well, When the first night that my son went to the hospital, my daughter was 15 months old when her brother was diagnosed. And the first night that he had to be in the hospital, his dad was with him and I was home with my daughter. And she wandered around the house wailing, making this inhuman sound. I mean, it was alarming to me. And I would go to her and try to comfort her and she'd push her push herself away from me and throw herself on the floor. She just knew that her entire world, she knew something was terribly wrong. You know, there was no way that I would comfort her. But again, we also understood, okay, she's in this as much as the rest of us are. And there was no way, even though we lived in a cul-de-sac and everybody loved her and anybody would have taken care of her, When her dad and I were at the hospital with her brother, she was there too. We weren't going to have three of us in one place and her somewhere else and her not know what was going on. And we were in a children's hospital. It was pre-pandemic when, you know, when we could be there a lot, she could be with him a lot. And when she couldn't, she could be in sibling care. But she spent two and a half years in the hospital with us understanding what was going on with her brother. When he died, he did die at home. He died in the middle of the night and we waited with him for her to wake up so she could see him and we could talk about what happened to him. And she knew, you know, she knew it was imminent. We all did. And so she walked through that whole thing and I wouldn't have done it any other way. It was like, okay, we've got this. I don't want this to be her life, but it is her life. And so we're going to make it normal. It's, it's her normal. And we're going to just let her experience it. And that was a good part of her being able to go forward from there. And us too, because we had all shared that experience together. You know, one thing I think about it was a phrase I used shortly after my mom died. I kept, I just kept saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And what I think about a lot, because certainly in childhood loss, that is what I'm telling you. It's what everyone's response is. I wouldn't live through it. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. And the truth is the majority of people stay alive. They somehow Mm -hmm. continue you as you have and your family has to live, even though the most untenable thing has existed in your life. And so when you're talking about it, part of what I'm thinking about is this is where the growth is, right? Like I have no blueprint. I have no map for this. We're going to hold hands and do this together, but you, you are going to come into this room with us supported by your parents. And we are going to trust, right? As a trauma therapist, I say this to clients all the time. Like, I know you don't have any idea how you're going to do this, but I trust that you are going to figure it out. And partly my bias is that we have all of our innate ways of healing that we are always wired towards healing and growth. And so 
we'll yeah. figure it out. We'll coach it. And you mentioned something. You do not have to talk about this at all, but I am curious about it because I do think, I mean, that there's some data out there that when people have an organizing structure, a faith base of some kind, that that actually does really help. Part of what I'm saying is, you know, there is an energy that you can tap into that's bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. where, where there will be some sort of sense of being held in growth. And so, you know, yes. I, I, I would love for you to just sort of say what that role was for you in, in your loss. It, it was everything. And I will say, I, I listened to one of your other episodes and some of what you were talking about made me think about the ways that I was prepared. I, I completely believe that God was in all of this. And one thing was when my son was born, I, for a long time afterwards, had this feeling of foreboding. And I knew it wasn't baby blues. It wasn't that. It was this feeling of foreboding. And it really bothered me. I felt, I felt like I wasn't going to have him for uh, his whole life. And it made no sense to me. And I finally got past it. But later then I could see that. And the other thing that happened that prior to me learning about my son's diagnosis was he was diagnosed in December and I was shopping in a Michael's craft store and, and saw this little yarn angel. And I usually don't buy stuff like that. But for some reason, I wanted to buy, I decided to buy this little yarn angel, and it was called the Angel of Peace. And I actually thought, ah, I wish it was the Angel of Joy, because I think of Christmas as joy. I wish this was the Angel of Joy. Who cares what the thing was called? But I did, and I bought it. And it was just days later that I learned that my son had cancer, and I thought, oh, now I know why that was an angel of peace. Mm. And, and I really did. I really was given a peace that passeth understanding through a lot of it. Mm. And I guess I'll share, this is a, a part of our experience and it's kind of, uh, well, I'll just share it. So then yeah. when my son was, he went through his cancer and went through the whole protocol and his cancer retreated very quickly. The chemo was very effective, but we went through the whole uh, year course anyway. And then not too long after he had a clean bill of health, he started feeling something again. And I, and I knew, and he knew, and his cancer was back. And so then he had it again. And, and the prognosis wasn't very good. Well, one night soon after we learned this, he slept in a room with his sister and we kept a monitor on and we heard him talking to someone and he was saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And he listened and he said, all right, I'll come. Holy moly. And so, you know, we're hearing this. And um, thinking, okay, tucking it away, saying maybe it doesn't mean what we think it means, 
But the thing was that he had throughout his little short life had a lot of night terrors and things. Yeah. And after that night, he was a different kid. He was just peace. And he was, he was very other oriented and he had to go into surgery to get his port put back in. And the chaplain said, David, are you scared? And David said, no, I'm not afraid. I have Jesus in my heart. And we hadn't told him that. So even because even though I had a faith, I've got a much bigger faith now. I I hadn't taught him about Jesus. And so I just think that's all part of what he got from that from that night and from that visit. And of course, he did then he did he did die. This I think was in about February or something. And he died in May. And so yeah, I it, it and it was huge. I just we just got I we just got assurances in many ways that God mm-hmm. was in this, even though it wasn't the outcome that I wanted. I was held through it all. And I also felt like he told me my daughter was going to be okay. You know, that was what I, how is she going to get through this? Her dad's gone, her brother's gone, but, and we had a strong church community. And so, yes, it was a huge part of, of the healing. Oh, thank you so much for that answer. I mean, a lot of the questions I ask are really, you know, they're professional questions, but they're personal Mm -hmm. questions too. Mm -hmm. And that that particular sort of, you know, I have it in my writing workshop. I, I I always ask it, you know, where does your, do you have an organizing structure is the phrase that I use because I don't really care Mm -hmm. what it looked like, but the idea maybe that we're all interconnected to an energy that's larger than ours, you know, part of that is pretty practical when people are trying to not talk to kids about stuff. I'm like, listen, they can feel it off your body. Oh, absolutely. Feel it. So try if you want, but I can tell you it's not going to work, but also then, you know, children are actually totally fine with the mystical, they right? Are. Like they are totally fine with magic and Santa mm-hmm. and Jesus and mm-hmm. God and unicorns and leprechauns. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and so one of the things about grief with children is that they can find support in these ideas so much more readily, maybe. Mm-hmm than adults who have reason to be resistant or and many of my listeners know, and, and maybe this is the part that you were referring to, but both my son and myself had a foreboding, a physical foreboding. I mean, I knew the reason that we knew my mom died is that I felt it in my body, like this right. breaking of water, but my son had had, you know, 10 days of nightmares about somebody dying. And then the night that she had died. He was like, Oh, I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. So I alternately share that story because it is as true as anything that has ever happened to me factually. And I sort of hate it because it makes me feel kind of out of control. Yeah. And, and so I say that because my organizing structure is sort of still formulating and it, it is also the truest thing that I that I believe and know. So while I find comfort in it, I sort of wish, like, I wish it wasn't this way. I wish mm-hmm. I could just say, you know, that this is what happened and I, that it doesn't make me feel like, oh man, there's all this mysticism out there. Yeah. And I am really comforted by the mysticism that's out there. I love the idea that, you know, breath becomes air that whatever once was living is still energy that's out in the universe. Yeah. 
and that we can continue to be surrounded by that. That's the most comfort Mm -hmm. that I can find. And my mother was deeply, deeply religious, deeply religious, very Catholic. And my dad was sort of off and on in his life. And it was always really heartbreaking to her that I didn't find comfort there. And it is really ironic. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I wish I could pick up the phone and call her because I'm not using the same vocabulary, but we are talking about the exact same thing. I'm not assigning it any sort of Christian, like in a book or whatever, but I think what she would describe and what you said is that peace, that peace, right. That, you know, that passes through. I think that's what I'm talking about as well. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And I imagine that must be a really extraordinary, poignant thing to have experienced with him and then watched, you know, the comfort and the transformation. Because again, I think think one of the things that happens for us as parents, particularly when our children are little, is that we feel compelled to protect them from all the things. Yes. And what, you know, truly your son had a life experience in dying that you have yet to have. So you can't guide him there. He's right. going, he's doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the first in your family to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it right? is, it's part of our human experience. And, and you said it, you know, children feel it, whether we talk about it or not. Okay. And you also said earlier, they're going to fill in the blanks if we don't. And they're going to grow up to be adults like us who don't know how to talk about this part of life. And so I go back to if they've got it, it, and if you've got the teachable moment, make the most of it because you're doing that child a favor by helping them understand. I think it's just dispelling the fear about asking things, you know, just being able to say the truth, like that phrase that I use all the time, which is like, listen, you are alone. Let's not have the like crappy, lying, cinnamon sugar dusted phrases like you are, you are, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I, but I also think you don't have to be isolated. I also want to connect. And that is such a good distinction because there are some things, I mean, that's one of the sort of debates that you'll hear in the grief field is, you know, I mean, and it's semantics is what yeah. it is yeah. and because you are isolated, no matter what anyone says. And the other piece is, you know, that grief lasts forever. And some people want to say, no, it doesn't. And they feel like it's, you know, it's doing a disservice to tell people that, well, it, it does, you know, the experience yeah. of grief stays with you. Does that mean that you're yeah you know, depressed and and can't enjoy life again? No, but you will never be the same. Right. And so, yeah, I, those are, those I are. I describe that as similar to parenting now, which is like, I was not a parent, even though I had spent a lot of time around kids. I had lots of siblings. I babysat my whole life. I was a nanny. I had a master's degree yeah. Yeah. in development. I wasn't a parent until my daughter was born and I'll never not be a parent. It's mm-hmm. never, I don't, you never right. go. Right. And, and grieving is the same. So again, I don't, I'm not interested in talking to people about like, let's map out the stages or even though I'm very well versed in all of the theories and all of that. And I'm appreciative of that work. I sort of, am like, I don't care what some other person said. We, you still have to invent it for yourself. And one of this podcast used to be called grieve is a verb. And I do a writing workshop on that part of the, the sort of general education, which again, I think is important with kids and you dropped it in there just for people who don't have kids or people who don't know this you know, I've had more than one phone call where someone says, oh my God, my kid is playing funeral. I'm like, that is awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Like, should they see a psychologist? And no, actually, that's exactly what they should be doing. Go in and play funeral, see if they want you to play with them. Mm-hmm. But the notion that crying is not the only way we grieve mm-hmm. that, and that you won't be crying your whole life, right? But you won't be grieving your whole life because yeah. you will, you know, the other day I walked out onto my porch and it smelled like the way it smells at my mother's house. Yes. Oh, smells can send you plummeting. <laughs> oh, and I, you know, it's, and it actually was this really like a thrill moment because it was like, I could smell that the day was going to get hot mm-hmm. and my mother's house was by the sea. And so it had this kind of humidity that you could smell when it was going to be a hot day. And that was it. Like I had a big yeah. plan for the day. And I was like, nope, I'm in, I'm, I'm in this smell today. That's what I'm going to yeah. do. I have this heaviness that wasn't there two seconds ago. I didn't cry about it, but I did grieve all day because Mm -hmm. that's what grief is like. So the concept also that we can infuse with children, baking a birthday cake is grieving that setting a place at the Thanksgiving table is grief. However you want to, however you want to do it, making, you know, making a family tree can be grieving. Mm -hmm. So I just appreciate that the openness, I think, is is part of really the the key mm-hmm. to being able to say, "Listen, I'm more curious and interested in this yeah. than I am educated in it." Right? Because yes. I, you know, as a trauma therapist, and I, you know, again, I say this all the time. I had all of the book knowledge about what it would mean to be traumatized. I treat people for PTSD all the time. When I had PTSD, mm-hmm. I was like, "Huh." I know what this is, but I can't stop it from happening, mm-hmm. right? Just because I understand and have an intellectual knowing of what it means to be traumatized is not going to, I still have to do all the things in order to right. not be traumatized. Right. And that's what I feel like with grief, which is like, yeah, doesn't matter. I can know all the things, mm-hmm. but when I am grieving, I still have to be the person that figures out how to grieve. And that's as right. someone who's had multiple losses in my life, the way that I grieve this one is not the same as I grieve this one. Mm-hmm. They borrow from each other, but each one is a new, you know, personal right. experience. Right. And so mm-hmm. approaching children without fear with curiosity and supports, you know, mm-hmm. to help them developmentally just sounds like, it sounds like it's not the worst thing to be able to say to a child, well, before some, before I did in my life, you're going to learn how to do something. I, I, and I've said that to Deanna throughout for a lot of things. I've said, I had to wait till I was, you know, 50 to learn this, or I had to wait till I was 40 to learn this and you're learning it now, you're going to be way ahead of me. And I just want to say you, and I I think we've implied this in what we've talked about, but you talked about how messy it was when you were doing it. And, you know, messy is fine. Messy is good. Nobody said it has to be neat or it has to be a certain way. And I think a lot of times when people are grieving there, we're always wondering, are we doing it right? And sometimes it's going to be messy and it's okay for kids to see it be messy because sometimes it just is going to be messy. The other thing I say to people is it's just important to honor grief to however you're going to acknowledge it and recognize it and name it. It's just important to honor it when it happens in your life. You know, I honestly feel like I could talk to you for 12 more hours because I have you know, what does it mean to have a child who loses her brother at three? How does she mark 
additional losses over time, right? I mean, that's true for, so we could have a whole nother podcast on that. I love the conversation about faith and how faith evolves and we could have a whole nother conversation, but you have been incredibly generous to give us, you know, both your personal experience, which Mm -hmm. I really, I'm like holding it in my body, but also just your deep professional knowledge about how to show up for, for families, essentially, if people want to know more about your work and get connected to you, which I imagine they will, I imagine you're going to hear from some folks. What's the best way for them to do that? The best way is actually at my website. I I have a good grief guide for anyone who wants to be uh, learning how they can better relate to kids at a young age about grief, just to start laying that groundwork now. And also you can find there other ways to connect with me on my community page. And if you want to, you know, talk with me there, you can find out how to do that there. My website is www.goodgriefparenting.com. Great. I'll put that in the show notes for anyone mm-hmm. who wants it. And again, I just love how you slip that in there, which is like, you don't need to wait until your children is a griever. Right. If I think any of us in the grief world, if we were going to say anything, it would be just include that in your conversations. Right. It changes the culture. I, I was just on a podcast the other day and I was like, listen, I remember the first time I saw a child's book that had same gender parents in it, that, that changes the culture mm-hmm. of how we see parenting conversations when people are including everything across the spectrum around sexuality is changing how we're identifying these, you know, regardless of how you may feel about that, these things are changing because they need to change. And I think being able to throw some books in your children's library about grief and loss, being able to use words and language and have direct conversation can only better us all. Right. So that would be great. People should go to your website and take a look at, you know, the resources that Michelle has about bringing this in. So I think it's unbelievably hard and I think culture makes it harder. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I'm, it's, I'm trying to sort of help people balance both pieces, knowing that we're, you know, it's a big, it's a big hill to climb. I am so grateful for your time. This was such an, a really lovely both, you know, just for the podcast, but also personal conversation for me. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Megan. Yes. I enjoyed our time too. Very wonderful to meet you. And yeah. Yeah, So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I just wish the best to all of your audience. You're a great resource for them. So thank you. So are you. So are you keep doing the work and, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Okay. All right, right, Michelle. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. What an incredible gift to have Michelle on the podcast today. She was just so genuine and open and well-spoken and articulate about so much of what is difficult for us to talk about. If you want to know more about her work, go to the podcast notes. I've linked everything there. If you are enjoying Grief is My Side Hustle, please, please go to Apple Podcast. You have to hit, click on the show scroll down a few of the episodes and it will show you where the ratings are. You can click the stars and also leave a written review. It's so, so helpful in getting the podcast out there for people to hear. And once again, people write into me every time the music, the theme song is done by my brother, Brendan Reardon. Thanks everybody. See you next week.